Hello, welcome to Hattrick. I'm Jordan Dollar Coltman, joined by Braden Dollar Coltman and Elliot Tanti. We are back after a week off. Boys, lots is going on. We're going to d- talk about the World Cup, which is already into the round of 16. Lots to discuss there. We'll talk about the Oilers and a little bit of hockey talk, and then we're going to do some hats off. It's been a little while, though, um, so why not waste any more time? Let's get right to it. This is topic one. Okay, topic one. Uh, right off the hop, we, we have had two busy weeks of football, soccer, uh, the World Cup well underway now. We've moved past the group stages. We didn't have a show last week, so I wanted to take a step back before we kind of get into what we are currently looking at here in the round of 16. Let's spend a quick moment talking about Canada's performance because obviously, um, you know, that was a, a big storyline uh, for all of Canada to be excited to see the Canadian men's team back in the World Cup for the first time uh, since the 80s. Obviously, very exciting. Unfortunately for Canada, they were unable to get a victory in any of their three games. They did score two goals, which was historic, considering the first was the first they'd ever scored. So they get two goals out of it. Difficult uh, couple games there, but uh, definitely some important learning going on. And I think that in many ways, that's really all we could be hoping for, considering this is a very new experience for these players uh, and that they are guaranteed a spot in the next World Cup, regardless of how they qualify, because they're a co-host. Uh, in four years' time as it's a North American World Cup. Elliot, we talked uh, the last time we spoke about our expectations. You were hoping they would score. That was kind of as far as you were willing to go. Uh, I think you were obviously would have loved to see them win, and obviously they did have some pretty good showings against Belgium and, and Morocco, a difficult game against Croatia. But let's talk about it. How do you feel they played overall, having watched them qualify, watching this team kind of come together, and then... The actual performance, you get three games and, and you, you show what you got to the world. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just that, right? And Canada showed up and I think people were at first surprised that they'd even made it. And then when we made it, I think Canada, you know, had an opportunity to show the entire world that this is an emerging soccer nation and that they should be uh, they should be respected and that they've got some incredible players on their team and, it, it, and that there's a bright future ahead of them. Um, obviously, it was disappointing not to get a result. But I think, you know, scoring the two goals, particularly after the missed uh, um, penalty kick in game one against Belgium, I I think coming back and being able to show that, yeah, you can score at this level was really important and good for the team. And ultimately, it's a great experience, as you said, right? Like, what do we keep going back to when when we've been talking about this? Like, this is just the tune-up. This is is the Uh, tune-up. What we're looking for is what this team's like in, in, in... in four years and they've got this experience under their belt. So it won't be the first time the next time they're in the, uh, the world cup. And I think that that's, that's really great and exciting. So, um, you know, ups and downs, I thought that, you know, they'd probably deserve better against Belgium. Um, you know, but they also got an opportunity to see what like real world cup soccer is like, particularly when, uh, uh position in the, uh, elimination rounds, is on the line and uh, you know, they, they got the best of Morocco. And so that was all good too. I mean, I, I think it's such a positive experience for them and I was just happy to be a fan, happy they got there and excited for a lot more. Well, and, and obviously we, we talked about what they should expect or how, how we thought they might play coming out of the gates. And, you know, there's the big bright lights. None of these guys, the majority of the best players on these teams are not, you know, um, yeah, they're familiar with big stages. Certainly Alfonso Davies playing in one of the biggest leagues for one of the biggest teams in the world. It's not like they haven't played in front of loud stadiums before. However, there's something different about being at the World Cup, representing your country, the pomp and circumstance of the Canadian anthem and all of the pregame 
energy in that space. And then you step on the field and we just wondered what it would be like for them. And I, I would argue they actually look better in game one than they did the other two games. And I think that that, that gives some great credit to the preparation uh, and to, and to how they sort of came out there. Um, and then, yeah, as you say, they kind of were, they knew they were on the back foot and they tried to throw what they could Braden, uh, I don't know how many of the games you were able to catch or how much of the rest of the tournament you've been kind of following along with, but you know, world cup is always an event that sort of sweeps people, even who aren't necessarily the biggest soccer or football fans up in, in its sort of orbit. Um, have, has that been the case for you? Have you been sort of, have you caught world cup fever? Yeah. It, it reminded me a lot, especially with Canada being there, it reminded me a lot of the first time the Jades were back in the playoffs. The first time the Oilers had finally made it back to the playoffs. There's a lot of excitement and anticipation, especially when your team hasn't been there in a long time. And with Canada being, you know, not having been there for 30 some years, at least my lifetime, it, there was a lot of hype, a lot of excitement. And, and I was, I was surprised. I was, I, I didn't know what, what it was going to be like to play, you know, a powerhouse like Belgium or, or a team like Croatia or, or some of these teams, you don't really know what the players are like. You don't really know what their national teams are like. Um, but I was impressed. I was impressed with how, you know, they, they didn't get absolutely blown over. I mean, the one kind of lopsided score for one against, Cro- uh, against Croatia, Croatia, I mean, I would argue they actually were the dominant team for a, for a good 40 minutes of that game. And, and once Croatia scored, you know, the, the tides started to turn. But I, I think they, they had a, a really great showing. And um, I haven't watched too many other games, but uh, one of the games I did watch was the Japan-Spain game and, and watching, you know, something like that happen where Japan absolutely shocked the team, uh, the Spain team coming back and, and scoring it's it's exciting those those kinds of stories uh, are always exciting to watch uh, in these big tournaments those those upsets or those um uh big surprises well Fun. there's certainly been a few of those this tournament this has actually been one of the more i would argue sort of interesting world cups from that perspective you've had a lot of teams um that we didn't expect necessarily to get results against some of the bigger teams get them uh no team went three and oh everyone uh at least found themselves with on, on the on the backside of a draw if 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 not a loss so that was interesting it shows that there's some great competitive uh, matchups through all the group stages and then obviously some of the biggest countries found themselves on the outside belgium being the one from our group which was i think ranked number two or three in the world and they're out but the biggest one obviously being germany uh one of the most you know prominent soccer nations and uh i'll continue like a you know every every world cup they're a contender usually um, and they found themselves on the backside of what, as you say, was a great Cinderella story from Japan. Elliot, I know that this is hitting a little close to home uh, as you have a very diehard German fan in your and an Iranian fan, for that matter, in your household. Uh, how has the last week and a half been from from a, uh, you know, st- the standpoint of the partner of a fan of a team that found themselves on and now different than Canada, because Canada succeeding would have been, you know, would have been a shock. In this case, Germany losing is a shock. Yeah, it's been pretty dark in the house over here. <laughs> lots of uh, lots of frustration around whether a ball was or in or out in the yeah. Japan game. Anyway, uh, regardless of that, it was always going to be tough for Germany this year. They're in a transition uh, in a lot of ways. And so I think um, what that means is what was you've got the older generation that has really been the backbone of the the team for a long time 
moving on and a bunch of younger guys coming in. And because of that new generation isn't quite in yet and that old generation isn't quite out yet. And so it just, they just didn't have the same sort of uniformity that we've come to expect from Germany. So I was disappointing, but uh, uh, on the balance of things, maybe not as surprising uh, to the, you know, the fan invested in the sport versus, you know, someone watching uh, from outside. So let's talk really quickly about what we know right now. Obviously we're recording this Sunday night by the time most people are listening to it. The first games of Monday will already have been played. So we'll know the result of uh, Japan, Croatia, Brazil, South Korea. However, uh, we have already had four matchups in the round of 16 go and, and be concluded. The United States losing to the Netherlands, 3-1. Argentina knocking out Australia, 2-1. France winning today, 3-1. Very dominant performance from Mbappe, who's clearly the best player in the world right now. And then England um, blanking Senegal, 3-0 to advance as well. So that means we will see an Argentina-Netherlands matchup in the quarterfinals, a France-England matchup in the quarterfinals, which will be very, very electric and then we'll wait to see what the results of the other four are knowing what we know elliot knowing what you've seen so far um we'll get to some betting in a second here when we do our ad read but in in the interests of just trying to you know i don't know uh set us up moving forward we talked last time we spoke france seemed to be the predominant favorite here they probably still are but in your mind what have you learned about the teams that are still left that makes you feel like uh who do you expect to continue to move forward so I would say there's a couple of things here that I'd be looking for. I think the winner of France, England has to be the favorite to come out of that side of the bracket and, and be, be there at the end. Uh, you've got some other, you got, you know, good teams in Spain and Portugal on the other side, but they kind of have to go through each other before they meet the winner of that game. So um, I just would be keeping an eye on that piece. You know, there's, so, there, there's what I would say is like, a, I think I'm excited about is that there's this energy around, Messi in Argentina. This is his last World Cup. At least it feels like it. Uh, the team is playing very well. Traditionally, Argentina has been a team that's been about Messi and the team second. This time, this year, it feels like Argentina is much more team-centered, Messi, uh, team first, Messi second. Um, you know, maybe there's a world where you've got an England-Argentina final. I think that would be really exciting. But that all comes down to the play of Brazil, who's looked like the strongest side uh, this year so far. And Brazil's always a powerhouse. So, uh, you know, lots of thoughts there, lots of excitement. I'm, I'm secretly cheering for Argentina, but uh, or quietly cheering for Argentina moving forward. But I know it's, it's a long shot for sure. How do you answer the Saudi Arabian win over that Argentina game? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. That's 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 the thing that makes me all shaky ground on Argentina. I'm I'm very much on on this Netherlands team. Like they're the high high scoring team. They seem to have everything going. I, I think that's going to be an, a really exciting game to watch. Netherlands Argentina. Yeah, we definitely have some good matchups, regardless of how the rest of it plays out. I mean, you could have a Spain Portugal matchup. You could have a surprising team where like a Morocco gets through there. You could have Brazil, Croatia, Brazil, Japan. And obviously if Japan beats Croatia, they continue to be the Cinderella team. And I think they're very, their bandwagon is filling very quickly because obviously they're endearing themselves uh, Mm -hmm. to fans all over the world, both their own fans who are cleaning up the stadiums post matches, whether their team is playing 
or not. They're sticking around and cleaning up. And then obviously the photos we've also seen from inside the dressing room where Japan's players have left the dressing room immaculate. So, you know, it's, it's heartwarming. It's, it's, it's all the good feels and on the field, they are surprising and, you know, outplaying, I think the expectations, which is lovely. We always like to see that. And, and then, you know, when you have South Korea and Japan and Morocco and even Switzerland still in this tournament, any one of those teams upsetting the bigger seed there would definitely be a, uh, a, a you know, just it would be a great storyline. And that's what you can always hope for. Um, so far, I think the favorites have kind of won every other matchup in the round of 16. So we'll see if any any of the underdogs get their get their day here. We'll be back next week, I guess, to sort of see where this is all going to play out next weekend. Uh, we'll be on to the semifinals. Actually, we'll be getting ready for. Yeah, we'll be getting ready for the for the finals by that point, almost. So. Let's leave it there for now. Let's stop going. Okay, it's time for our pick of the week presented by BetStamp. BetStamp is your one-stop shop for line shopping, bet tracking, and sports betting odds. Like you would never just go with the first price if you were shopping for flights. So why would you settle for the first odds you find when you're betting? BetStamp changes that. They have streamlined the process for finding the best odds it's an easy to use app it allows you to see a wide spectrum of odds for any bet then it makes it easy to track your bets all in one place you can set alerts in case the line changes you can learn uh what bets your friends or even some celebrity bettors are making so elliot you uh, have been our designated pick of the week picker for lack of a better term and uh you've had you've had sort of one very impressive uh long shot hit and obviously, uh, you had Canada beating Belgium the last time we did this. That did not hit. So not far uh, off. So you're not you're, far off, man. That you're was one and call. one. You're one and one. Um, but I know you do tend to favor the underdogs. Who are you picking this week um, as your pick of the week? Well, I'm glad we're talking about this. We've got a couple matches on Tuesday in the World Cup, and you know what? I think, well, everyone's looking at Japan as the sweet underdog story. I think there's a far better story, and that is the squad from Morocco. So I, this week, I'm going to be betting on Morocco to beat Spain on Tuesday. I know, I know, you're all shocked. But with the <laughs> kind of yeah. betting odds that I'm going to be able to get, I think this is actually a very smart bet. I like Look, it. You're definitely playing a long shot, but as you say, uh, if if it hits, you're going to make a big windfall here. The best odds you would find right now on BetStamp for Morocco straight up to win is plus 576. That's at Pinnacle. And the, just to explain, just to show you the difference here and what you would be seeing if you were betting on just the, the first app you went to, you could be settling for only a plus 500 if you were looking at William Hill or even if you were looking at uh, Bet Victor. So there's lots of different odds out there. The best place to find the best odds are always at BetStamp. So if you want to join us this week, if you want to follow Elliot down a very dangerous slope, pick Morocco. Uh, you can download the BetStamp app for free. And please, when you sign up, use the code ORDINARY so that they know we sent you. To always get the best value when you are betting, choose BetStamp. All right, on to topic two. All right, topic two. Uh, we haven't had Braden with us for a few weeks. And um, so we wanted to jump back in, you know, obviously, we're partway through a good portion of the way now into the uh, regular season in the NHL. We wanted to get Braden's thoughts on the Edmonton Oilers and Elliot. I know you have been to a couple games in the last week, so your, um, you know, your expert eye has actually been in the building. I'm sure you've been picking up lots of little nuances and things that they've been doing, uh, you know, to adjust uh, matchups and, and schemes and whatnot from actually being able to be in the building. Much, much different. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I gave you some hot takes. 
Braden, I wonder if you've got any hot takes so far this season, any, any strong opinions on the Edmonton Oilers season? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do have a lot of strong opinions. I can't quite recall all of your hot takes, one of which being probably around Jack Hamill and the success that he might have. That's not happening, and that's a huge bust. That's, that's really unfortunate. I think I'm with... I think I'm of the can like the the mindset that it, it will come around. It's just it's so hard to watch a guy that you just paid, you know, five and a half six million dollars, you know, just let in beach balls, uh, game in and game out. And it's 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 nice to see Skinner's been able to uh, ease a little bit of that bleeding, but not not enough. You know, like you're still relying on a rookie to to really be the guy. Um, so that's, that's one of them. Goaltending is, is, uh, a sore spot. Um, I am, when we talked about this on an episode a while back of, of the, just the sports media in Edmonton around, you know, just, it's, it's just all terrible and it's not going well. And it's like, that only ever happens when they lose. And then they have an amazing game against, you know, the Canadians or, or, or whoever. And it's like, Oh, yep. Looks like they're ready for the playoffs. So, you know, just being around all of that's really, really frustrating. I wish that the culture in the city was a lot more focused on the positive, um, you know, the successes, the things that are happening. I'm impressed by Bouchard's play. Although, here's a hot take. Can the guy shoot around pads? Like, I, <laughs> every time he takes a shot, even a pass, it gets blocked. Um, so once he figures that thing out, I think he's going to be scoring at quite a pace. Um, beyond that, it's nice to see that, that Connor and Leon are up to their, um, you know, their, their magic, uh, scoring 43-something percent of, of all of the Oilers scoring this season. Um, and we're fortunate that they're both healthy. That's, that's just it, right? Like it would be, it would be absolutely devastating if something there happened because we've already lost um, an, an important piece in Evander Kane and Yamo has been out. Ryan McLeod has been out a few, like this kind of gets into the time where injuries and illnesses and whatever have you um, starts to, starts to come into play. So the depth of the roster really starts to show. And, you know, I think our fourth line, against the Montreal Canadiens is, is our top line in the HL. Um, it's, it's not what you want, but uh, you know, it's, it's just, this is, this is really, really when you start to see some of the holes or the, the pieces that, um, that need some help. Elliot, any hot takes so far? Uh, as I said, you were in the building, anything you picked up there? Yeah, I mean, I, I think for me, the big thing is seeing a bunch of guys that are really, really close. Pooley RV is really, really close. He's the skills is that is still not there. But when you watch him on the ice and what he's doing, he's he's causing far fewer mistakes than he was in the past. And I really think I know that there's been lots made of how much he got paid and everything that, that went into that. But I do have to say, you know, I, I, I think we're starting. There's a player there. And uh, just watching him sort of play in the top six has been really, really exciting. Uh, and, and I think that there's an opportunity there. I know, I, I know it feels like we've been waiting forever, but we have to let people develop. And, and I think we're almost there. The other thing I would say is that I feel like there is definitely uh, the Edmonton Oilers penalty kill is, is really taking a hit. And I'm not sure what it is. I don't know if it's the lack of Keith or, you know, teams have figured them out or it's the 
changes that are down the middle. I know they're dealing with some injuries as well, too. But uh, it, what, what started as what felt like, oh, maybe it's a slow start to the season and they, they'll figure it out. You know, their penalty, for as good as their power play was last year, their penalty kill was really important uh, to them. And I think we're seeing the impact of that not uh, that happening right now. And that, to me, is uh, concerning and needs to get yeah, started. Yeah. Uh, one way to have a better penalty kill, don't take freaking penalties. Also that. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, but at the same time, no team in the NHL goes without It's going to happen, so, of course, yeah. of course. I, I, I think one of the big takeaways I had the last time we spoke was that I believe I, I was sort of – I wasn't trying to suggest that Jack Campbell was a disappointment uh, thus far because I actually don't think that that's fair. I think that when you look yeah. historically at goaltenders who have made changes to the team, like to a new team, there are, there are sort of two – two extremes they're either instantly phenomenal there and everything just clicks or they regress and have to adjust to a new system of defense in front of them and that tends to be i think the more common occurrence and i think that's where jack campbell falls here i don't think that we are watching a player who is playing badly just because i he's not a good player or somehow we were all tricked into thinking he was great when he had success in Toronto i think that he was comfortable in Toronto and it took a little time even there to get that place i think that that is the case here too i think that the oilers do not have a traditionally robust defensive core and so he is often uh, exposed in situations where you know he is vulnerable that is the case with both of the goaltenders the Oilers currently have. But the difference being right now, Stuart Skinner, when in, seems to be able to make the big save when necessary more often than Jack Campbell is. And that is really affecting the, the ability for the Oilers to find success. That being said, if you look at the last week of hockey for the Edmonton Oilers, they come out of it feeling probably pretty positive, having won several games. All of those games were from behind or having to come in uh, like come back in, in a close sort of one point or like one score game late in the third, obviously the game against New York where they were down three nil going watching too much soccer (laughs) three, nothing going into the third and and stormed all the way back to score four unanswered. That's not sustainable. Uh, And that's the big thing right now for me as, as a, as a fan of this team watching is that they have to find a way to get leads and hold leads um, more comfortably and more successfully if they intend to put together, you know, more successful periods of, of hockey here. Um, when you look at that Montreal game, for example, they got, they were gifted a, a really great opportunity from some bad d- discipline on, on Montreal's behalf first with the cross check to the head well actually even before that for with the with the original penalty but then the cross check to the head that made it four on three or five on three and even still they were only able to manage two goals on what was by the end of it about nine minutes worth of power play time that's not good enough for the Edmonton Oilers and then even with that lead they 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 gave the lead back up before the end of the period um, which is also not good enough and so those for me are the biggest things that are concerning let's say i think Braden's right there's lots of positives to be taken from how this team is playing but when you are looking at a team with leon dreisaitl and connor mcdavid in their prime playing absolutely the best hockey they've ever played together just the median just just good enough isn't good enough for this team this team needs to be dominating they need to be taking steps forward every single game they need to be using every single game to 
help those players that like Elliot says are very close get there because close isn't going to be good enough come March. And I think that's the big thing right now that's missing, obviously lacking the size that Vander Kane adds hurts, but that isn't the, that, that can't be an excuse. That can't be, every team has banged up players. Um, you have to find well, a way to, to, yeah, to win yeah. more consistently. Right. I just want to point out though, the, the addition of Clem Costin, although, you know, uh, you know, a 23 year old kind of coming in, proving himself, uh, he added some in- intense size to our back end, uh, or, or rather, our, our, you know, our, our third, fourth lines. And then Matthias Janmark, like there is the depth there. There is, there is showing. There is, there's, there are players that are doing that. Is there enough? You know, is Dylan Holloway? Are, are, is he ready? Is he actually ready to be playing no, he in should the be NHL in the, right I, now? I don't think so. I think I said this with when I was talking with Elliot. I think he should be back in the HL. I, I think that that's a that you you're running the risk right now of stunting a player's development the way we did with uh, Nail Yakupov or frankly even Nugent Hopkins, where you're asking a player who has only ever played at the top of a lineup to go back and play, uh, you know, in a checking role. He's never done that before. He doesn't know how to do that, and he frankly shouldn't be being asked to do that. He should be playing on the well, top line in the AHL and scoring. That's what he should be yeah. doing. I mean, and I can't agree with you more. I mean, there was a moment I looked up at the at the clock and they track ice time for players. Holloway was on the ice to start the third period or something like that, and he'd been on the ice for three minutes and fifty seconds Oof. in the game. I don't know yeah, if that's, that's not helpful. That. No, like, I, and I, unfortunately, I like, he is he is the victim right now of the cap crunch the Oilers are in, um, where they just don't have enough uh, bodies uh, with the contract numbers that they need to be able to you know, play enough players in the NHL without somebody on an entry level deal. And that's the challenge. So barring a trade, barring some, uh, something changing from the cap perspective, I think he's going to, we're going to continue to see him in that, in that role. And as I say, I, I, I do worry about what the future risk of that is. Uh, interesting point on, on um, what was his name? Braden? Clint Costin. Costin. Yeah. I, I wanted to call him Clint Costin, but it's Clem Costin. Um, he apparently will not make the trip south of the border uh, in a week's time, the 12th and 13th, because he is working on a temporary work visa uh, and he needs to go to Calgary to get a permanent work visa or a long-term work visa approved. So he will play the remaining home games here for the Oilers, but he can't cross the border under the current work visa because it has expired. So unfortunately some paperwork is standing between him continuing to play with the Oilers uh, barring that, you know, I'm sure that they have lawyers and whomever else needs to sort of make sure that paperwork gets dealt with, but from the sounds of it, uh, it won't be done before the 15th of this month. So um, (laughs) we will see him out of the lineup for unforced reasons, I suppose on on the 12th and 13th. Anyway, just an interesting note, (laughs) you know, sort of the things you don't think about uh, when we're dealing with hockey and yet somehow it feels very, on uh you know on brand the last couple of years when we've been dealing with cross-border play and vaccines and all that kind of stuff this one's I heard, literally I heard just a paperwork. funny i heard a funny story about him when he got traded i don't know if you guys heard this he got traded he was like oh i'm kind of excited to go to the oilers when he found out it was seven to i'm like why he's like well one of my you know one of my good buddies playing there dmitry samarukov like oh that's the guy who's going the other way <laughs> that's pretty funny yeah to be traded for the guy you wanted to go play with is great yeah, that's awesome yeah. um all right let's just wrap this topic up with this Braden. um we're where we are right now or whatever but considering we've seen some positive signs from the evander kane side of it he was on the ice the other day 
um, just taking some, you know, some reps to keep those legs in shape and all of that kind of stuff. We don't expect to see him back before February. Do you expect between now and then that the Oilers will go and make a deal or are they going to play the long game here? See how Kane is when he returns and make any potential deals uh, at the deadline moving into the, into a playoff push. Yeah, it's a great question. I'm glad you asked because it's something I've been thinking about a lot of how do they do that? How do you do that with assets that aren't actually producing very well? You know, like I talked about some of these depth players that have had some success so far, the guys that you want to be able to package or move if they're, if they're playing at, you know, base level, you're not getting the kind of value you need to bring in something that's actually effective for the team. So it's kind of a cat and mouse or a catch 22 of you need a player to play well in order to, to move them. I'm hoping that they can sort something out. There's a few, there's a few options. I think on the, you know, Chitrin's name's been, been out there. That's not going to help your, your forwards, but um you know, and then you've got you got to look at some of the teams that are not proving success right now. Um, I'm thinking about Chicago. I'm thinking about even the likes of Vancouver. Teams that need to be uh, moving out some players. I I I want to hedge my bets and think that these things are going to happen by the deadline, like uh, or closer to the deadline rather. Um, but it, it all depends on how the team plays moving forward. They, they've got to they've got to find a bit more success to to make it an easier thing for Holland to do. Elliot, what do you think? Uh, do we see a deal before uh, the deadline, or do the Oilers just try to continue to hobble along with what they've got? Well, there'll definitely be a deal before the deadline, particularly if they're in it, because that's what general managers do to show. I mean, at the deadline, <laughs> yeah, they pay it after the deadline. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think there'll be something, but I, I, I just, I, I don't have a lot of faith right now that there's really a lot of movement. I, the other thing is Edmonton's disadvantage because everyone knows their cap situation and where they're at. And so that makes dealing with them it's tough to get a fair deal, you know? Very good point. We've Very seen good point. that. We've seen that play Edmonton in the past. So, yeah, I would say I, I would not be surprised if we didn't see a smaller move. I, I think that there is a lot of concern about the size on this team. You know, the, the very kind of player that they are missing right now is like a 2016 Zach Cassian. Like that's the kind of guy or a Patrick Maroon where they just need a guy who's going to go to the difficult places and make it difficult to play against. Who's not looking to fit in on the top line with Connor who doesn't need a bunch of minutes, but a guy who can go and choose some minutes, maybe play on that penalty kill that we've seen struggle a little bit, but more importantly, go to the messy places. Look, it's great to see Jesse Pugliarvi in front of the net. And he does a very good job creating space because he is a big body, but he is not a mean player. He is not a, a like a, a tenacious aggressive player in those spaces the way like an Vander Kane is when Vander Kane goes to the front of the net people feel him 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 there you know he makes him himself big he knows how to go to those places and there's a lot of guys like that in the NHL we're not looking for somebody who's who's going to put in 25 goals we're looking for somebody who might put in 10 you know uh, the mm-hmm. names I would think of are 
and I don't know how this one fits considering all of the other, uh, you know, chemistry issues that, 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 that may follow it, but like a guy like a Ryan Reeves, a guy who's successfully played on very good teams, but knows his role and plays his role really well. A guy like Wayne yeah. Simmons, who obviously is on the outs in Toronto, but is looking for one more chance at chasing a cup. He's got a good, you know, a bit of a, a, a decent deal for the Oilers if he could fit in there, but he also has the pedigree to go and, and be able to play, you know, solid third line minutes. He would know his role. He'd go and play his role. And yet he would, you know, muck it up when necessary. I'm not looking for a, for a, you know, a bully or a, a, a goon. McEwen, yeah, sure. No, I'm just looking for a guy who's able to, to, who, who's not, a, who's not going to back down from any fight in this, from any, from any pushback in this league. And there are teams, I think right now that look at the Edmonton Oilers and go, if you can clog up the middle and make it difficult for them to score off the rush, you can, you can beat them. Um, the Oilers obviously are a very skilled team. They lack a little bit of that size. And without, a, without a Vander Kane, I think that, that they are at a disadvantage. So those would be the kind of guys I would think might be on Holland's, you know, well, wish well, list. Uh, it's funny you say Reeves because they were on his, on, on the, on that list uh, before he got moved. He, he already got moved. I mean, he's, he's now with Minnesota and I think he's going to stick with them for the rest of the season. Yeah, and I think that's right. But. Those are the kind of players. I didn't mean him specifically. I just no, mean, for sure, the, for those sure. Are the kind but it doesn't have to be that size. Like if they still do that, does it have to carry that kind of weight? Like I'm thinking, does does a Max Domi make this team better? That's another good example. That's a good name because again, you you're not looking for him to be, you know, a, a skilled player up the middle. You're looking for him to be a physical, a, a physical, you know. Uh, influence when he's out there. And, and, and again, you know, what's interesting is that like there are guys on this team right now in Edmonton who could very easily be playing that role. They just don't oh like Warren Fogle is a big guy. And look, Warren Fogle has actually had a very good season yeah. on the whole. Yeah. He's put in some goals. He's been very offensive when he, when he, when he's had his opportunities, but he's just not truculent, you know, like he's not, he's not that kind of guy. And I, I think the Oilers have lacked that sandpaper. I not again, I'm not looking for an old fashioned fourth line. You send out there to bruise guys up. I'm looking for a little bit more grit. That's going to win you a few more puck battles when you really need it. You know? Oh my God. Imagine a Jonathan Taves in front of the net. <laughs> It'd be you know, I, also, I do want to note, I think you're right, Jordan. I just know, you know, this team is also pretty banged up too. Like the, the, hypothetically that could be a role from a, a McLeod, you know, and that we're not seeing that right now. Yamamoto it has a way to get under people's skin and steal the puck in the corner. Uh, he's hurt right now too. You know, we are missing some of that. What you're looking for is Yamamoto like, doesn't come up to most players' navels in the NHL. I know, I mean, but he is. Yes, he, he will, go at, his body. He will yeah. go at their navels if yeah, he has to. And look where it's got him. There's no one that's going to go. Look where it's got him. It's got him. I'm sorry, but we what should not be asking. About? He's injured. We should not be asking Kyler Yamamoto to be our physical threat. I'm sorry. No, that's no. Silly. we've gotten Darnell Nurse, and we paid him nine million dollars to do it. I remember someone He's saying he's a defenseman that, uh, who chews minutes, uh, injury prone, and uh, two other guys saying uh, that wasn't going to be the case. Well, well, he's hurt right uh, now. He's hurt right now. <laughs> that's right. All right, let's leave it there. That's topic two. <laughs> topic three this week is brought to us by the MCU and Me podcast. The newest podcast to join the Ordinary Podcasting Network is an awesome deep dive into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Here's their trailer. Hey, I'm Sayer, and I love Marvel. And I'm Kaylee, and I love someone who loves Marvel. (laughs) And we're watching through the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe, or MCU, in release order. There's another order. For Kaylee's first time. And Sayer's 85th. (laughs) 
Wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find MCU and me. Sam's obsessed and Kaylee's the best. MCU and me. Okay. We're going to do hats off. Uh, We haven't done it in a few weeks. So this for the uninitiated out there is where each one of us takes our hat off to somebody around the sporting world who deserves a little bit of praise and credit. I will go first. Uh, I would like to take my hat off to soccer legend Pele, who unfortunately is in the hospital right now. Um, He is considered by many to be one of the greatest soccer players of all time. If not the greatest, obviously a a legend uh, among legends. Um, at first, when this story broke, there was a lot of concern because he has been um, being treated. Uh, he's he's in, undergoing chemotherapy, fighting cancer, and there was a lot of concern that perhaps things had turned on that front. It was later um, revealed by the family that this is actually a lung infection unrelated to the original cancer. So hopefully, um, hopefully uh, he's able to make a full recovery from this. A lot of people expecting that he uh, will. It was an interesting statement, I thought, from his family, though. They said he is sick, he is old, but at the moment... He is there because of a lung infection. And once he feels better, he will go home. So they're obviously trying to push back against the, oh my God, Pele is going to die. Look, whether that's what the, that's what the narrative was. It was like, oh my God, Pele is on his deathbed. Look, he's not on his deathbed, but he is not doing well. So I wish him all the best. Look, Pele is a legend. He's one of those players that I think often gets underappreciated in the North American side of sports. When we talk about the greatest of all time, you know, in their sports, Pele is right up there. He's a humanitarian. He's an ab- he was an absolute amazing soccer player. Go online, go YouTube, some of Pele's goals, you know, he's up there with the Maradona's and, and some of these other players that were, they were on just another level while everyone else around them, you know, was, was just left in, in, in confusion and, and, and utter disbelief at what he was capable of doing with a soccer ball. So we wish him a speedy recovery. Um, hopefully he will be back uh, out of the hospital and back to fighting cancer. And that will be the only fight he has. And hopefully he will win that fight too. My hat goes off to the legend Pele. Elliot. Yeah. Well, we're on the topic of the best uh, to, to play their game. Uh, this is one that I've been waiting, sitting on for a while, but we haven't done a hats off. So I, I was very excited to congratulate Matthew Essex, who is the 2022 Croquet World Champion. He beat a uh, competitor from Great Britain. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Croquet? <laughs> like the garden game. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So if, wow. if you have not seen this, and I don't know how you haven't seen this because this is really important sporting news. Fantastic. Um, the shot that Matthew Essex makes is actually a jump shot over his opponent's ball uh, to, to as a final shot. And you, you, you know, when you when you're watching the best, the, the absolute best of someone doing something that they love, that's really w- what you get to see when you see. Matthew Would you Essex. say he's the ma- He's he's the Pele of croquet. Uh, I don't know, but he is right now. He's the world champion. He beats. He's from the states, wow. uh, so traveled across to do it. It's it's. it's it's really quite, uh, yeah, it just, you know, really profound victory and really important thing in the sporting world. And I just wanted to highlight it here. Elliot, I think we might have to launch a new podcast on this network. That's just like Elliot Tanty takes on obscure and unknown sporting events. Like this is fantastic. Catching up on croquet. All right, Braden, who you got? That's fantastic. But you won't top that. Well, I won't top that, but I do want to tip my hat to uh, four young gentlemen, one uh, namely Jake Chason, uh, Evan Sowers prospect, 
uh, and a member of the Brandon Wheat Kings. He and three other team members uh, uh, were out in Brandon on the, of the weekend, uh, came across a man who was suffering and uh, struggling, uh, looking down uh, at the edge of a bridge, and they reached out to to him, ask if he needed any help to uh, to support him. Asked if he needed anything. Um, they were able to pr- uh, provide some assistance to this man, and uh, just really proud, really proud that those uh, those young men did that, um, and proud that uh, specifically Jay Ch- Chason represents the Edmonton Oilers. That's that's what you want to see from from four young men representing hockey as well as their community abroad. Fantastic. It is a great story if you haven't read it already. All three uh, interesting stories. Well, thank you, Elliot, for a great and interesting show. Everything's interesting today. Look, uh, if you haven't already, please go check out our website, ordinarypodcasts.com. We have a brand new show this week. You just heard an ad for it before topic three there. Uh, MCU and Me is a brand new show on the Ordinary Podcast Network. You can find out about that. You can find out about our basketball show, Backyard Basketball, Braden hosts. We got football. We got, we got a little bit of everything. Go check out the website if you haven't already. And if you haven't already, also, please subscribe to this show. We would love your support. Leave us a review. Leave us a comment and Instagram, whatever. Just, just you know, we appreciate you, listeners. Thank you very much. And that was Hattrick. Hattrick is a member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. It's produced every week by Jordan Dyler-Coltman and Braden Dyler-Coltman. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. You didn't even thank me. You just thanked Elliot. Oh, (laughs) nice. Sorry, bud. Thanks. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit, whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue, which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.